Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. If you have your Bibles, open to Psalms chapter 22, verse 3. I'm going to read first out of the King James Version. Don't worry, it's just one sentence, so you'll be able to keep up, hopefully. It says, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Thou art holy, thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. That word inhabits, inhabitest, which is a word that King James makes up. The word inhabits there is a very rich word. And so I want to just give you a little bit of detail of what this word is. The word is yashab, yashab in the Hebrew. And it means to abide, to dwell, to enthrone, to inhabit, to sit, and to remain. What this verse is saying is that God inhabits, dwells, and abides in the authentic worship of his people. How do I know Jesus was actually standing right here in the midst of us this morning? Many scriptures, but this one, Psalms 22, tells us that he inhabits and dwells in the praises of his people. He chooses to live within the praises of his, of his people, meaning that wherever there was genuine spirit truth worship, his presence is there and active. His presence is there and active. You know, the thing that separates us from the rest of the world is his presence. There's a lot of people in the world who are good, who have a morally sound life, who are encouraging maybe to other people, but they don't have his presence. The thing that distinguishes us is his presence. I love in uh, Exodus chapter 33, chapter 33, Moses is talking to God and he's about to go, they're about to go into Canaan and, and uh, God tells him that he's gonna go ahead and send them on ahead but God is going to remain behind. And this was, this was Moses' response. He says, if your presence will not go with us, do not bring us up from there. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. The thing that makes us distinct is the presence of God is the presence of our Father. The presence is so vastly important, amen? And he inhabits the praises of his people. The other word that that word inhabits means is to enthrone. In fact, most of the translations of the Bible use this word. So I'm gonna to read to you now Psalms 22, three out of the New Living Translation. It says, you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. You are enthroned on the praises of Israel. So not only does he inhabit our praises, but when we praise him, we are actually enthroning him. We are lifting him up. We are enthroning him. One of my favorite quotes, you've all heard me say it before, is from a worship leader named Rick Pino. He says, the greatest way to dethrone a principality or power is to enthrone a greater principality or power over it. And when we worship, 
when we give God our all, when we honor him in spirit and in truth, in authentic, heartfelt worship, we are enthroning him above everything else, above every name that is named, above every, every enemy that is set against you. You are setting his name. You are setting his authority above all of those things. Let me say that. Let me say it this way, the way I wrote it here. It means to enthrone him in our praise means we are setting his authority above every other thing that is looking to take authority in our lives. You understand that? Do you get that? That when we are enthroning him, we are placing his authority above anything that is trying to take authority in our lives. Amen? Do you understand that? I, I don't know how else to explain that other, other than just to say we are placing his authority above any other authority that is trying to take, take place in our lives. Amen? Numbers, we're going to look here now and spend the majority of our time in this passage here. Numbers chapter 13, we're going to start in verse 25. This is an example. This is what it looks like. First of all, when you, when you don't recognize the King of kings and Lord of lords in his enthroned position, and also when you do. So let's look here now in Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13, verse 25. I'm reading out of the New Living here. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses. So let me give you a little context. I apologize. Let me give you some context. So they have come out of Egypt. The Israelites have come out of Egypt. They have made their way to the promised land, and they are at the gates of Canaan. They're at the, at the border of the promised land. And so Moses sends in 12 spies to spy out the land, to see what kind, of, what kind of defense this land has, what kind of good things this land, have, this land has. He sent them in, and they were in the land spying out for 40 days, and now they have returned, and that's where we're picking up right here. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses and Aaron and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community, what they, had, what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us, sent us to explore. And indeed, it is a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there the descendants of Anak. The descendants of Anak. The Aklamites live in the Negev, and the Hittites and Jebusites and the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. They can't go up against them, or we can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread their bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. And next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what we thought as well. 
And that's what we thought as well. What were they saying in, in, in a nutshell? They're saying, Yahweh, I know you promised us this land of Canaan, but I don't think you took into consideration how big the inhabitants are. Father, I know that you told us that this land was ours, but I don't think you took into consideration their fortified cities. There's no way to penetrate these cities. I don't think you took into consideration the giants that roamed the land, that we felt like we were grasshoppers in our own sight. So if we felt like grasshoppers, I know we looked as grasshoppers in their sight, that God, I know you promised us this land, but I don't think you considered all of these details. Go on here in verse 14, one. It says, then the whole community began weeping out loud and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. I love how the New Living Translation translates that there. It says that their voices rose in a great chorus and a great song of complaining against Moses and Aaron who led them to this land that they see as being impenetrable, as they see as being untakeable because of the inhabitants in the land. That and, and the New Living Translation uh, translates it as coarse. Most other translations say they were complaining. They were bickering. They were moaning and groaning, right? They were complaining. And it became as a great course. Their song, their song was complaining. And then in verse five, in verse five, so it says they came against Moses and Aaron. Sorry, this is verse two. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones to be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt. Then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. These are the things they were saying. Verse five, though I feel is important. It says, then Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. Moses, God's chosen man to lead them out of captivity. The one who speaks to God face to face. And Aaron, the one who was chosen to lead the people in worship and in sacrifice. Says that they fall on their face and bow before the whole community of Israel. They fall and they bow to the complaining and the moaning and the bickering and the criticizing. They bow their knee in submission to the complaining. Let me ask you this. If God is enthroned on our praises, who then is enthroned in our complaining? If God is enthroned on our praises, who then is enthroned in our criticisms and our slander and our bickering and our complaining? The Bible has many words for the devil. A few of those would be the slanderer, the accuser of the brethren. I want to propose to you today that if our worship enthrones him, then when we complain, we are setting the authority of the enemy 
above all of our issues and our problems. That, that if, our, if the worship, if our worship places his authority above all of our circumstances and our issues and our problems, then when we complain, we are setting the authority of the enemy. We are playing, we are using the tools, the very tools of the enemy. And then, and, and in doing so, we are enthroning, we are giving authority and permission for him to be over our problems and our issues and our circumstances. If we are enthroning God in our praises, then we are enthroning the enemy in our criticism and our complaining. And here's the thing, our complaining, our criticism, they don't move anything forward, do they? When, you, when we complain about things, does it actually make a difference? Does it move anything forward? It doesn't produce any faith. It doesn't build us up. It doesn't bring redemption. And it sure doesn't glorify God. When we build those altars of complaining and criticism, it doesn't move us forward. Sure, it's the easy thing to do, isn't it? It's easy to fall in complaining and criticism. It's the easy thing to do. But in doing so, in doing so, we are enthroning the enemy rather over our problems. We are giving him place, giving him authority in our complaining and our groaning. It takes no faith, no strength, no wisdom, and no honor to set loose our tongues, does it? James, James chapter three, verse six, it says that the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. It takes no faith or strength or honor at all to set the tongue loose and allow it to have reign in what we say and what we do. Amen. And I listen, and I, I know that there are things in this world right now that we should be angry at. Right? You know, I, I heard, I, I don't know the details of it, but I, I heard in passing that the House just passed a bill, or is at least talking about the bill, I'm not sure which one it is, that they will allow abortion up till birth. That should infuriate us. That should make us angry. There's people walking around right now so confused that they don't even know what bathroom to use. That should be upsetting. That should make us angry. But what does the Bible say? It says, be angry, but sin not. It's okay to be upset. It's okay to be angry. But your anger, if your anger drives you to criticism and complaining, then you're of the wrong spirit. Your anger should drive you to intercession, not to complaining. I've said this before, and I believe it with all of my heart, that until you have brought something to a place of intercession, then you don't have the authority to speak on it. That until... Until you have prayed, been into the place of prayer, and been into the throne room of the Father to gain revelation and wisdom and direction on how to face an issue, then you have no authority to speak on it. Because what happens? The tongue is a fire. And unless we go to the throne room and get right perspective, then our anger is going to drive us to complaining, which then enthrones 
the enemy and allows the enemy to have a voice and an authority into whatever situation we speak into. We can be angry. We should be upset. But it should drive us to a place of intercession, not to a place of complaining. It should drive us to a place of worship because in worship, we gain the proper perspective on how to approach and how to handle situations in the world. Amen. Hallelujah. Here's the deal. The 10 spies that came back, they didn't lie, right? The 10 spies didn't lie. There were giants in the land. The cities were actually fortified. Their problem wasn't that they were untruthful. Their problem was that they had the wrong God enthroned. Their problem wasn't that they were speaking lies. The problem was that they were not seeing things in the right perspective. Listen, not a sin. I love this. I love this here. I heard, I heard this on a podcast earlier uh, this week, and I was like, I'm totally stealing that for this Sunday. The problem with the 10 spies was not that they were untruthful. You know, not a single one of them came back saying all of these things and believed that they were operating in fear. Every one of the 10 spies believed that they were operating in wisdom. None of them thought they were, they were operating in fear. They all thought, well, listen, Moses, listen, Aaron, I understand we want to take, but these are mighty warriors. These are giants. It would be unwise for us to try to conquer this land. We'd be better off. This is a, this is a smarter, wiser plan to, to maybe get a group of people back and get a leader and maybe go back to Egypt where we know it's safe. Because oftentimes, Fear masquerades as wisdom. Fear oftentimes masquerades as wisdom. But these people, these 10 spies, none of them thought they were operating in fear. They all thought they were operating in wisdom. But what they were actually operating in was fear because fear oftentimes masquerades as wisdom. It looks like this. God tells you to start a business, but the startup costs are just too high. Or God tells you to speak to an individual, to share your faith, but you don't want to be too pushy. How many of you have been there? You don't want to be a Bible thumper, right? So you, you, just, you just hang back and I'm just going to show them Jesus by being kind, right? But the Lord told you to spoke to them. Fear masquerading as wisdom. Or maybe God tells you to worship with abandonment in a service. He tells you to dance or to lift up your hands or to, uh, I don't know, whatever, whatever he may tell you to do, whatever that expression may look like, but you don't want other people to feel uncomfortable. Fear masquerades as wisdom. Fear masquerades as wisdom. And that's what's happening in here when we're looking at these 10 spies, they, they thought they were operating in wisdom, but in reality, they were operating in fear. Why? Because they have the wrong God enthroned. Because they have the wrong God enthroned. They have the wrong authority over them. How do we fix it? How do we fix the fear? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face in the things of earth 
will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. How do we fix fear? How do we fix fear? The power of worship, the power of praise is that it dethrones any fear, any doubt, and any enemy that tries to enthrone itself over you. And it enthrones the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. How do you dethrone fear? You enthrone a greater power over it. You begin worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And when you do that, he is enthroned on your praises. Let's see now what that looks like. In verse 6, in the same chapter, chapter 14, it goes on and it says, But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh went, who were among those who had spied out the land. They tore their clothes and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, notice where their attention is. In this passage, the others were talking about the giants, but they're saying, if the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Joshua and Caleb didn't deny that there were giants in the land. They just weren't impressed by them. They didn't deny that the sons of Anak were huge. They just weren't overwhelmed by their size. Why? Why weren't they overwhelmed? Why weren't they impressed? Because their eyes looked further above them and saw the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords above them. And they said, if he is with us, then these guys are our bread. That these guys will become our nutrition and our meal. That what you see as a battle I see as a meal. I see as my nutrition because my perspective is right. That because, because uh, my view is right. Anytime we become impressed by the size of our problem, whether it's with our nation or with our bank account, we have lost sight of who he is. There's some messed up stuff happening in the world right now. And it's easy to become overwhelmed and impressed with the size of the problem. But, the, the, but when we become impressed with the size of the problem, it is an indication to us that we have lost sight of who our God is. I know it may sound cheesy, and I know you may have heard this before, but if we are impressed by the size of the enemy, then we have lost sight of the size of our God. We have lost sight of the goodness and the power and the majesty of our Father. There's a lot of things happening in this world, but I, I can honestly stand before you today and tell you that I am not moved by a single one. Now, I'm concerned, I am upset, and I want to see it changed, but I am not moved in my spirit at the giant standing in front of us. It's our bread. When he is enthroned 
on our praises, then our giants become our bread. When we, he is enthroned on our praises, then we make a table in the midst of our enemies. That he sets a table before us in the valley of the shadow of death. And there's a feast of celebration because the shepherd is with us. The giants may be big, but they're not impressive. Not in comparison to the size of our God. Amen? I am convinced that worship is the answer to our perspective. Worship is the answer to our perspective. Worship gives us courage and confidence and hope. Worship actually becomes a weapon because it dethrones the principalities and powers by enthroning the king over them. Worship becomes our weapon. Chad, this isn't back there. I wasn't sure if I was going to read this psalm. But Psalms 149, if you have your Bibles, open it up with me. Psalms 149. Actually, I'm going to read it out of here. Psalms 149. It says, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. It's time to sing to God a brand new song so that all his holy people will hear how wonderful he is. May Israel be entrusted with joy or enthused with joy because of him. And may the sons of Zion pour out their joyful praises to the king. Break forth with dancing. Make music and sing God's praises with the rhythm of the drums. For he enjoys his faithful lovers. He adorns the humble with his beauty and loves to give them the victory. I, I just want, this is, this is free here. A side note. You know, we, we think a lot of times that music, that dancing before the Lord, that, that exuberant praise is actually a new thing. I want to tell you it's actually an old thing. The, the exuberance of worship that we're seeing in the mainline worship things these days, that's not a new thing. That's not a contemporary thing. It's actually an old thing. Here in Psalms, it talks about singing before the Lord, dancing before the Lord, worshiping before the Lord with lifted hands and praise and singing and dancing. Amen? It's not an old thing, or it's not a new thing. It's actually an old thing. Amen? For he enjoys his faithful lovers. He adorns the humble with his beauty, and he loves to give them victory. His godly lovers triumph in the glory of God and their joyful praises will rise even while others sleep. God's high and holy praises fill their mouths for their shouted praises are the weapons of war. Their shouted praises are their weapons of war. In other translations, it says that they lift with their mouth a voice of praise and with their right hand, they carry a sword. That your worship is is actually can be warfare. It can be a weapon in your hand. It says these, right, these warring weapons will bring vigilance on every opposing force and every resistant power to bind kings with chains and rulers with iron shackles. That your praise and your worship actually takes the chains from your wrist and puts them on the enemy's wrist. That it actually binds the enemy in your praise, in your joyful triumph. Listen, you don't have to, uh, listen, hear me out. There is a time and a season where you war in intercession. But I want to tell you that your worship, you don't even have to bind the devil to bind the devil. 
All you have to do is exalt the name of the Lord, exalt the King of Kings to worship him with all of your heart. And in that, you actually bind the enemy. You, you know, I think a lot of times we become way too devil conscious. I'm not, I'm not against, I'm not against binding and loosing. The Bible is clear. There is a season and a time for that. But I think we spend way too much time focused on the enemy. When we, all we have to do to bind the enemy is look at the father and worship and praise his holy name. And in our worship, we actually bind the enemy. Your worship is warfare. Your worship is a weapon in your hand. Amen. Let's finish the Psalms. To bind kings with chains and rulers with iron shackles. Praise-filled warriors will enforce the judgment doom decreed against their enemies. This is the glorious honor he gives us. He gives to all his godly lovers. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. This is our glorious honor. This is our glorious honor that we get to worship and honor the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That your worship enthrones the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Your worship gives authority to him. That whatever circumstance you have, when you worship, you are setting his authority above it. Says one of my favorite passages in Ephesians 1, that his name is far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age that is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Thank you, Jesus. When you enthrone him in your praise, your giants become your bread. When you enthrone him in your praise, your giants become your bread. Go ahead and stand with me. I just want to declare over you today, whatever circumstance you find yourself in, whether you've, whether you've been in anxiety over what's happening in our country, or whether it's more personal than that, and you're going through issues of, of, with family members, or issues maybe within your own health, or maybe issues with, um, you know, whatever it may be, whether people are being deceptive towards you, or, or, or backbiting, or they're gossiping, or wh whatever your circumstance may be, I want to declare over you today that he is enthroned above all of those things. That in your worship, he is enthroned above all of those things. That in your worship, you are giving him authority to speak into. You're giving him authority over every circumstance that you find yourself in. And I want to declare to you today as well, that in your worship, those things that seem insurmountable, those things that are, have been impressive to you and overwhelming to you, I want to declare to you today that in light of his face, in light of his goodness, in light of his power and majesty and authority, I declare over you today that those things that were impressive when you walked into this door, that when you leave, you will see them as your bread.
that when you leave today, you'll see them as your nourishment, that they, they are not insurmountable, but that through him, all things are possible. That through him, that through his authority in those things, they are not insurmountable, but rather they are your bread. That they are your meal. That in the presence of your enemies, in the valley of the shadow of death, that he has prepared a feast for you in the midst of your enemies. That you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. And I declared today as well, in light of him being enthroned, whatever circumstance that you're facing, I declare today that it will be a turnaround day. If it's with your health, I declare over you today that you are being made well today in light of his goodness and in light of his authority over that situation. I declare that whatever ailments that you've had are being made well today in Jesus' name, that today is a turning point. I declare that if you have a prodigal in your house, that in light of his being enthroned, I declare, well, two things over you I want to declare. I declare one, peace. I declare peace over you. That the nights you stay up worried about them, the nights that you stay up crying and broken over the lost state of your prodigal, I declare that today there is peace. Because you're not looking at the insurmountable odds against you. You're not looking at the giant that it's going to take to overcome whatever confusion, whatever rebellion there is in, in your prodigal. You're not looking at those things, but your eyes are lifted up a little bit higher. And you see the king of kings enthroned on your praises. And in light of his authority, nothing is impossible. So I declare peace over you in that situation. I declare peace over your mind, peace over your emotions. And I declare a faith that will overcome you in such a way that you'll never have a doubt in your mind of where that prodigal is going to end up, which is back on your property with the father's arms wide open. I also for that person, for those waiting for prodigals to come home, I want to declare over you a fresh authority to intercede for that prodigal. A fresh faith to believe that your words and your prayers and your intercessions are effective. That the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That you have authority because you have set the king of kings in his rightful place on the throne. And that his authority is now your authority. In Jesus' name. God, and I declare over our community, our communities in Elwood and in Fairmount and Tipton and all the surrounding areas, God, we declare that you are enthroned in those communities. That those giants of poverty, those giants of, of drug and alcohol addiction, those giants are not insurmountable, but they become our bread. They become our feast laid out before us in the midst of our enemies. 
And we declare your authority is over those cities in Jesus' name. God, and over this house, over Harmony Christian Church, we declare your throne is above this place. Your authority is above this place. Your authority is above our opinions. Your authority is above our our ways of doing things. God, your authority is above our thoughts and our ways. God, that we declare you are enthroned above this church. And every Sunday that we come into this place, we are going to continue to place you on that throne in our worship. Harmony, I want to just do this right now. I'm going to do this in my own heart, and I want you to do it in yours as well. I want to commit that every Sunday I walk into this building, no matter what I'm going through, no matter what my circumstances are, that I will choose every Sunday morning to give him my very best in worship. Because no matter the circumstance, he is always worthy of it. He is always worthy of it. Even when we're confused and when things aren't going right, he is always worthy of our worship. And so I declare it within myself and as a body, and I want you to, I want you to commit to it with me, that every Sunday I walk into this building, I'm going to give him my very best in worship. I'm going to give him my authentic expression of praise and worship. And that's going to look differently for people. I understand that. But whatever it looks like, whatever it, whatever it looks like, whatever it sounds like, I just commit that it will be authentic and it will be with spirit and with truth. And it will be from my heart and not just lip service, but it will be from a place of authentic pursuit of your presence. Father, we love you so much. We honor you in this place. In Jesus' name, if you agree with that, say amen. Amen.